Welcome to The Rock's podcast. We are currently going verse by verse through the Gospel of Mark on Sunday mornings. We pray that these sermons encourage your faith. Now let's join Pastor Ross as we continue studying the life and teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Father, in the middle of this conversation, which we started last week about what is the true meaning of being great from God's understanding God's perspective of true greatness. Father, in that conversation, in Jesus' teaching, are some very stark uh, warnings and very sobering <laughs> illustrations. And or perhaps the most uh, harsh language that Jesus ever uttered uh, awaits us this morning. So help us, Lord, prepare our hearts and help us with the Holy Spirit to understand Uh, these truths, and and, uh, take action, Lord, to put the truth that we learn into practice so we can be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, sooner or later, really, it was bound to happen, wasn't it? It's sort of inevitable if you preach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through the New Testament, through the Gospels, in our case, the Gospel of Mark, which thesis statement, first couple verses, Mark told you what it's all about, the life and teachings of the good news of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Now, uh, he identified Christ as the God-man who's come into the world in love to rescue us. He's the Messiah who delivers us. So it was only a matter of time, wasn't it? before we would learn the grim details of exactly what it is that Christ Jesus came into the world to save us from. And how sad and somewhat mystifying to me and definitely diabolical in nature that this biblical reality, the very thing Jesus said 23 times, is the reason I came to save you. From Jesus' own lips and from the scriptures' own words, it's the source, the problem is either ignored or skipped over or allegorized away or simply dropped from a postmodern new version of this message, this Christian message. Uh, The new postmodern message is one that wants to be pleasing to the ear or more palatable to the masses, or less offensive to human sensitivities. Well, be that as it may, the message is the message, right? It is what it is. <laughs> the message is going to be what it was, what it is, and the message will be what the message will be. And according to the scriptures, and according to the one who said, I'm here to save you from, he says the good news is that the work Jesus Christ did on that cross was to save us from being condemned to a literal place called hell. Now, that's some pretty terrific news, actually, if you stop to think that if Christ had not intervened in your life, according to Christ and the scriptures, that would be your destiny. That puts the G in the good news of the gospel. To take hell out of the equation, Christianity implodes upon itself because Christ says the reason he came, in fact, the angel to Joseph and said, you shall name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And then we find out where sins will take you and not just in a temporary sense. And so this idea here in Mark, now the subject, the terrible subject will come up and it 
Interesting, it comes up in the same conversation that we started last week with the, the disciples being schooled about their bad attitude, about thinking they're all that, you know, fighting about who's the greatest and being self-absorbed and insulting one another and trampling over each other. So it's really no surprise to me that in that same conversation, in the teaching that uh, he's giving them, that he's going to mention the danger of perishing when your heart is filled with pride, anger, and selfish ambition. So Jesus is going to describe the place in infamous graphic terms. You know, he hopes to inspire his listeners, not just in that room, but in every room that ever hear his words, to go to whatever lengths is humanly possible to avoid such a place because God our Savior wants all people to come to the knowledge of the truth and be saved. So for the sake of context, we'll pull up the verses that we talked about in full last week just to show you the start of the conversation that will lead him to some very stark uh, warning. So here's how it began. Let's take a look at that. They came to their home base, and they're in the house, and Jesus said, okay, I want to know something, guys. What was it that you guys were arguing about on the road? And he kept on asking, and they kept on being quiet because they were ashamed because they were arguing uh, who was the greatest. I'm the greatest. No, you're not. I'm the greatest. God loves me the most. I'm the most spiritual. You're a bunch of losers. And that's the kind of ugly that was going on there, and that's why they didn't want to talk. And so Jesus said, listen, and he takes a child as a symbolic gesture saying, listen, true greatness, if you want to be really great, then you have to be everybody else's servant. You have to be really great at being other-centered. So there's a way to distinguish yourself, but you're going about it the world's way, heaven's way is to take the low road and to, to let others shine and defer to them in a humble way. And so he takes the child in his arms and he says, whoever is good at serving people who, like a child, who they can't return the favor, you know, they're, they're in the world's eyes, insignificant people who kind of take, 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 and sometimes they don't say please or thank you. They take a lot of your time and a, a lot of extra grace is required. If you're good at serving those kinds of people, not just who you like, but who rub you the wrong way, but you're still willing to, to serve them in my name, he says, well, I take that personally. And he starts to talk about rewards in the afterlife for things done in this life. And that's when John interrupts him. So John is going to interrupt him. We're going to look at that. Jesus will quickly come back to the conversation. They're all seated around Jesus, who's kind of sitting down, schooling them like a rabbi. And uh, John will change the subject, just so you know where this is going. Jesus will not skip a beat. He'll put John in his place, and then he'll come back to talk about the consequences of our behavior in this life that have ramifications, positive reward or negative in the life to come. So that's where we're headed. Uh, he's just said, listen, I take how you treat people very personally, right? And so he's on them. They're uncomfortable. And then John gets an idea Let's talk about something else. <laughs> and, he, and here's what John wants to talk about. He says, teacher, <laughs> interrupting Jesus, uh, uh, we saw a man driving out demons in your name, and we told him to stop because he's not one of us. Do not stop him, <laughs> Jesus says. No one who does a miracle in my name can in the next moment say anything bad about me. For whoever is not against us is for us. So second point here, if you're taking notes, first point, even though we didn't uh, go further with it, we did last week, Jesus reprimand, right? And, and now we have John's red herring. Now, <laughs> a red herring 
is used for something that distracts from a relevant or important issue. In fact, uh, just FYI, red herring comes from uh, in the 1800s in the UK uh, when they would go hunting and for whatever reason wanted to throw the hounds off the track. They'd use a red herring with that pungent smell that that smoked Bitch. And they'd kind of dab it along off into it, uh, like over here, look over here, over here. And they would be successful. Well, John is sitting there. It's awkward. Guess who's in the hot seat, man? It's about 95 degrees in that room, right? Because Jesus is saying, Come on, you're my disciples. You're trampling over each other, being rude and puffed up with pride. Come on, guys. And then he pulls out a little child, and they're feeling humiliated. And John says, hey, let's talk about something we did right. Okay, so we weren't just arguing about who's greatest on that road. Let me tell you about something more pleasant, something we did right. And so what we did right was we saw this dude. He's casting out demons in your name. We don't know him. And so we told him, hey, who do you think you are? Knock it off. We're the twelve. And Jesus is like, no. (laughs) John is like, hey, Jesus, we did something right. And Jesus says, "Uh, no, you didn't, John. So now it's going to backfire. Not only is Jesus going to, right after verse 40, pick up right where he left off. You could take this out, and his thought flows. So not only is it not going to work to throw the hound of heaven off the trail, and when he's on to you, he's on to you. You can try, and people do. Hey, can we change the subject? You know, uh, not in my notes, surprise. Um, <laughs> John chapter 4, the Samaritan woman did that, right? Jesus is evangelizing her, talking about living water, and then she's like saying, well, he says, go call your husband, and she says, well, I don't really have a husband, and he goes, yeah, you're right, I'm on to you. You don't have a husband right now. You've had five husbands, and the guy you're living with now, he's not your husband. So you're right. You have no husband. And she changed the subject. The next verse is, uh, so you guys say we should worship in Jerusalem, and we say you should worship on Mount Gerizim. <laughs> That's what we do. The how they have it gets on us, gets on us, gets us, and red herring, red herring, and that's exactly what happened. But guess what? This hound will not be deterred. And not only that, here's where it backfires on John. It's yet another thing he has to reprimand them for. And surprisingly, it's not as irrelevant as it sounds because the very pride, the trampling over one another didn't stop with one another. Their greatness, their pride, It's us, man. I'm in the top three. I'll show you. I'll prove it to you. Look at that, dude. Who do you think you are? We're the 12. We're the great ones. And you are a nobody. We command you as the 12. Knock it off. It's exactly the same problem. And that's what it is with being self-absorbed. Oh, it's not just your own community that's going to suffer. It's everybody you run into is going to pay a dear price for not honoring the wonder of you (laughs) or me. Amen? Okay, I'm sorry for stepping on your toes. That's my job. That's my job is to preach and to convict us, us, all of us. Amen? So he's really saying, listen, here they were, you know. Jesus says, listen, they say, we told them to stop, which Jesus says, no, you stop. You can't do that. That's exactly the attitude, what got you in trouble in the first place. You're not humbly deferring and serving others. No, he's saying everyone in Christian ministry who is working with the biblical Jesus, not a counterfeit Jesus, is on the same team. So Jesus reasons with them and says, um, Why would anyone who's ministering in my name and doing a good deed, helping people who are oppressed by evil, in the next breath turn around and say something bad about me? You guys have nothing to feel threatened about by other ministries, other ministers 
who you may not know, but they're from a different community, but they've got me, right? And they're successful. And this is what fanned the ire of the disciples that they were coming from a scene where they failed to cast out a demon and help a family. And now they see a guy who they don't even know who's not, over, not only doing the act, but having success at it. So it's like their success proved to them that they weren't as significant as they thought they were. They're not the greatest because they couldn't do something somebody else is doing successfully. So therefore, they're the greatest. So John can't have that. And he says, we, we all ganged up on him. We all went over there kind of like we are the 12th. And we see you're doing something that, you know, maybe Philip said that we couldn't do. <laughs> you know? and, and we just want you to stop and go away because you're reminding us of something we'd rather not learn or think about is, is that um, we're not as great as we think we are. Now, Jesus says something interesting that's been used <laughs> by the other side so many times as they wrench it out of its context, whoever's not against us is for us. If that whoever is not qualified, then that would mean that the coexist bumper sticker, whoever's not against us, they'll say, we're not against you. Does that mean they're for us? I, uh, look, we're not against you. We put the cross right up here. It's kind of carrying up the rear. You know, we gave Jesus his place. Now, you got to yin and yang with us, and you got to do everything else and, and coexist. We are not against you per se. We tolerate you, right? So in Jesus' words, going back to his words there, for whoever is, so, so for whoever is not against us is for us, doesn't mean that. And a lot of people have used it, generally speaking. See, if somebody's not against you, Jesus said he's for you. No. Who is the whoever? The whoever is a Christian who knows the biblical Jesus, who's filled with the Holy Spirit, otherwise he could never do what he was doing, right? And so he is already got the real Jesus. And if you've got the real Jesus and you're doing a real genuine work, even if the non-essentials are different, he says, then leave him alone. He stands or he falls to his own master and his own master's able to make him stand. Just uh, this morning, somebody said, hey, pastor, we prayed for my son 35 years, and he got saved this week. Guess what happened? He went to Victory Outreach during the week, and this pastor, he's slightly a madman for Jesus. He's a former boxer, but man, he comes out of the gate. He's wild, and the Lord used him to save my boy. I cannot tell you how different Victory Outreach is from anything that goes on here, except... We've got the same Jesus and the same Holy Spirit and the same goal. And so Jesus is saying, don't you even think about pointing out to somebody else who has got the real Jesus and the real gospel and sound doctrine that they're doing it wrong and they've got to shut down because they're not doing it exactly like you. We're on the same team. If you have the only begotten son, born, conceived of the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into paradise. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits on the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, this same Jesus will come to judge the living and the dead. Now, if you've got that Jesus, then we're in business. I don't care if you want to swing from the chandeliers. I don't care if you want to do whatever you want. If you've got that Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit and sound doctrine, because my friend, the New Testament says, if they don't have that Jesus, 
Well, what Jesus' own word says, the cross reference, he makes it plain, the cross reference that comes right after. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. There's no neutrality, you see. So places like vertical call, great, very different from us. But places like the spiritual center for spiritual living, That's a different Jesus, and it's my job, as the New Testament says, watch out. In love, in truth, there's no fellowship there because there isn't a real Jesus, a biblical Jesus that we share in common, no matter what the words say on the surface. Amen? So so that's what he's saying. He has to put them in place, and then he gets back to his point. Here's his point, as if nothing was said. He says, so as I was saying, John, uh, next verses, please. I tell you the truth, anyone who gives you a cup of water in my name because you belong to Christ, another gospel says, or you give one to them, it works both ways, will certainly not lose his reward. And if anyone causes one of these little ones to believe in me to sin... It would be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a large millstone of concrete (laughs) tied around his neck. And so here we have some warnings now. Really, consequences, both positive and negative, just that show human beings from God's point of view. (laughs) Everything you do has a ramification in the life to come, positive and both negative. And so we are here to help people, not hinder them. And so before uh, Jesus was interrupted, this is what he's talking about. He says, I take it personally how you treat the least Christian. I'll take it personally. And when you see me, I'm going to reward you. So he continues along that theme. This is exactly what he was saying. What does that reward entail? What does that look like? How could I get some of that reward? Well, he goes on to say... Listen, I'm telling you what, the big things you do down to the little things like a cup of water, I promise you when you see me and I'm evaluating your life as you have an appointment, everybody will stand before the Lord and give an account of their lives because he gave you a life and you will be brought before him at what is called the judgment seat of Christ. And he says, when we evaluate your life, I'm going to reward you for even down to the cup of of water doesn't even have to be cold. I almost said cold water. He just says cold. He just says water. What does he mean by that? Any sort of encouragement that you might even do and not even think was an encouragement. He says, remember the email. You'll be standing there. And he says, hey, this is for the email. When you heard that somebody was down and you sent them a couple scriptures and said you're praying for them. Here, I got something for you. Let me show you. What? I don't even remember doing that. He said, down to the cup of water, down to the hug, down to the prayer, down to the being helpful for the day or for the moment, a cup of water. You see, God is a father. Let me tell you about being a father on Christmas Eve or Christmas morning. There is no joy greater than watching your kids' faces come down when the tree is loaded upon loaded. All right. The more loaded it is, the greater joy it is for who? For the father, because he sees the kids light up with joy. There's no greater joy than that. And God is a father. So God can't wait to see your face when he says, hey, remember the time you did this kind little deed? I noticed it. Nothing went unnoticed. And here's what I have for you. And you're going to go, what? And he, that's going to light up his joy and his heart. And the reason that I'm saying this is because he makes it so easy for you to have some aha moments. Because some people don't give their spare car to somebody who has a car because they're just trying to have a car themselves, right? Or you didn't donate $5,000. You didn't donate a penny to the hurricane relief. So, so But maybe you did give $5. It counted. He says, here's, you know, you gave five bucks. Thank you. And I've got something for you. Look at this. And you're like, what? 
Lord, if I would have known, I could have been accruing all of this stuff. I mean, I might have lived my life differently. Oh, but you had the scriptures. You had the preachers. You had the, you had the information. You just didn't have the faith to carry it out. And so that's what he's saying. Now, so he's, he's got you. He's saying, listen, positive things down to the slightest little goodness carries over to eternity. Aha, uh-huh. what about the times we trample on each other, the time we insult people, the time we tell other people, you shut down that ministry because I didn't authorize it. Oh, there are ramifications for that if your sins are not paid for. Jesus has not gone to the cross yet. He's not factoring in redemption. He's just telling you plain and simple, if there is no cross, and if you are not reconciled, and if you're going to pay for your sins, let me just assure you that down to the, (laughs) the cup of water in reverse, down to the little thing that you don't even think was a slight of hand, down to the remark that cut somebody, down to the deeds, the simple little deeds where you have fallen short, he says, if you had a choice. Now, without the cross, without being reconciled, if you had a choice to choose two destinies, one, they take you out five miles in, on the ocean and they hook you up to a big slab of cement, Jesus, the son of God speaking. And they chain it to your neck and throw you in the sea. Choose that because that will be better than what is in store for unrepented, unreconciled, unpaid for sin. That's the punishment of sin. Oh, he's going to do something about it. He's going to take the fires of the wrath of God so that that place can be avoided. But he's saying without that sacrifice, this is the payment for sins down to the last sinful cup of water. Not just the big sins, but the little sins too. They'll have to be paid for. They have to be paid for because God is just. So he says, I take my blessing my children personally, and, and, I, and I take stumbling my children personally. Now, somebody wrote this. I like it a lot. Christian or not, he writes, saved by the blood of Jesus or not, One would think that anyone who reads these words would have as their top priority in life to never, ever, ever do anything that might harm or impede or hinder the object of God's love, a a, a person who's part of the family of God or is trying to be. Amen? But yet... (laughs) We do it all the time. We ignore people or insult people or talk about them or ruin their reputations because they got us mad. And Jesus is saying that anybody who puts their leg out or causes somebody to be damaged in their soul, I met a guy who wept and wept and wept so much he got water all over my chest from weeping in a jail cell. And the reason he was weeping, and I could not stop him, and I did not want to stop him. He said, there are people, because of what I've done, who won't come to Christ. Because they knew I said I was a Christian, and I did terrible things to end up here, and I don't care about being here. But I know in my heart that people are going to use what I did in my life as a reason to bolster themselves down a road that leads to destruction. And I am guilty of that. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. So for me, I know I'm going to heaven. I know I'm saved by grace. But you know what? I don't want to do something that Jesus says... (laughs) Wow, this is how I feel about it. 
whether or not I will ever live to be punished in that way, which I won't because I, like you, have trusted in Jesus who became my sin. So all the talk about hell, and we haven't even gotten to hell, it comes next (laughs) sentence. He's saying, what's worse is this, something that doesn't, isn't over in 10 seconds. He says, drowning in the sea? How long does that take? 15 seconds? If you're strong, 25 seconds, you're done. Done. He says, let me talk to you about something worse that awaits sinners. Here it, here it comes. If, so if your hand causes you to sin, the sin is what the problem is. Cut it off. It's better for you to enter life maimed than with two hands to go into hell where the fire never goes out. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to, be, to enter life crippled than to have two feet and be thrown into hell. And if your eye, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If today's your first day in church, (laughs) welcome. I go verse by verse. I don't preach topically. So it's kind of your fault (laughs) that you picked this Sunday (laughs) to come today because we're just going straight through. If Jesus talks about it, I have to talk about it. So uh, we're going to talk about this. All right, let's let's do that. Um, Let's do that now. Okay, here's the something worse. It's the red hot warning, the graphic description, an intense exhortation to not let this happen to you, because on that great day, it will not be, you know, why would God send anybody to hell? Oh, newsflash, theological error. God doesn't send people to hell. He allows them to send themselves there. He gives them a choice. And so we're going to talk about that. So, uh, Yes, Jesus is saying it's a terrible thing to drown in the sea, but there is something worse. And so here's what he's saying. He's saying the consequences of unpaid sin, gentlemen, he says, the stuff that you're messing around with, I'm the greatest, you're a loser. God loves me the best. Hey, you, knock it off. I'm telling you, you're not allowed to preach because I say so, and I'm one of the 12. That stuff turned Lucifer into the devil, it caused the fall of mankind. It ruined humankind. And it will send, in some ways, people to this terrible place. Is this any way for you, 12, to be behaving? He's talking to his 12. Now, he also uses this in open-air preaching in the Sermon on the Mount. So he's talking to his 12 disciples who, are they saved yet? They're not acting saved. Somebody filled with resentment and bitterness and anger and being mean and arrogant. They don't sound saved. He's constantly saying, why are you guys so dense? Why aren't you getting it? You know, he hasn't gone to the cross. He hasn't resurrected. They don't believe a thing he's saying. I mean, they're all surprised that he even rises from the dead. But then the Holy Spirit comes. And so I don't know when they get saved, but they're not acting like it. And Jesus is telling them, this is how you're acting. And let me tell you, people who act this way go here. So you better do something about it, even if it's near and dear to you as a hand, a foot, or an eye. I don't know what your problem is, he says to his disciples. But whatever it is, no matter how you perceive it, so invaluable and central to your life as being the greatest or whatever your problem is, you better, in a spiritual sense, amputate that thing and make room for the grace of God. Now, nothing you can do can save you or stop you from sinning in this regard. 
If you did cut your hand off, or your foot, or your eye, you could still sin. You can sin with no eyeballs, and no hands, and no feet. Because the problem isn't with the foot, or the hand, or the eye. It's with the heart. Blind people sin. Right? And so he's not saying literally. He's saying, listen, dear friends, whatever it is that's so important to you, is it so important to you to miss eternal life and to end up in a place like that? When Jesus talks about, I I like what one writer said, nice theology on hell. He says, ultimately, Jesus and the New Testament will teach people will not perish because of a particular sin, in this case, damaging other people's souls. You don't go to hell for that. You don't go to hell for any sin. You go to hell because you reject the sin bearer, the one who made peace and became your sin, and then you will pay for those sins because he charges them to your account. People perish because they don't know Christ. And that's why they've committed the sin. And since their sin is not forgiven, they perish in payment for those sins. Jesus' earliest teachings about hell begins by teaching that there are consequences for how we live, wonderful rewards for believers, and terrifying recompense uh, for sinners. You read Jesus' teachings, and then you read the Apostle Paul and the New Testament. Very different teachings slant. Jesus is all about stirring up conviction, readying your heart to receive the good news. So he talks about hell, and he talks about hell more than he talks about heaven. Why? To prepare you to come running into his arms. And here's an example of what I'm talking about. Matthew chapter 5, 6 and 7 is his Sermon on the Mount. So he, the purpose of his teaching It's not to say, here's some moral behavior, and you better be good enough, or you're going to miss it. No, no, no. He's showing them, God has commands. You've broken them. What are you going to do about it? So, for example, he says, well, you've heard the Ten Commandments. Let's take one of them. Do not murder. He says, oh, you might be out here thinking, oh, phew, I've never committed murder. He says, technically. But have you hated anybody? Have you ever said, I wish you were dead? Have you ever been angry? Have you ever in anger called anyone an idiot? Quoting Jesus, Matthew chapter 5, if you've called someone an idiot, you're in danger of hell fire. Jesus saying, wake up people, wake up people, that's what he's saying. So somebody with adultery He said, hey, you've heard it said, one of the Ten Commandments, don't commit sexual immorality or adultery. So he says, oh, don't think you're okay because technically you haven't. How about in your heart? You can commit adultery and sexual immorality in the privacy of your own heart, and you are guilty in God's sight of committing adultery in your heart. Then he ends it by saying, hey, and I'm quoting Jesus, you will never get to heaven unless your righteousness exceeds the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees, the name Pharisee means separated ones. They're separated so that 24-7 they can give themselves over to God. They know every scripture. They keep every law. They're the example of, wow, This is what God requires. And Jesus pulls them front and center and says, unless you're better spiritually, more mature and more holy than these guys, you're not going to heaven. Now, what happened? They started panicking. They started saying, then what must we do to do the works God requires? He says, bingo. Trust me. Believe in me. I've come down to give my life for you, to do what you could never do in yourself. And so the stirring up of telling of the true and real, vivid, graphic consequences of sin, which made Christ go to the cross so that we can avoid that, that is what 
he's trying to, to get them to do, and he does. So now, closer to the cross, he'll start talking about drinking the cup that he gives and trusting in him alone and not being afraid. Uh, but right now, he's got to stir conviction because those guys think they're all that. And he's saying, listen, let me tell you where people go who don't have a savior who think the world revolves around them. And he describes it. He calls it Gehenna. Let's talk about Gehenna. Gehenna is a place. It's called the Valley of Hinnom. And it exists today. And if you go with us in March, you'll drive by the valley he's talking about. He used the valley as a nickname of a literal place that Jesus describes as the final abode of unreconciled sinners. He uses this name, Gehenna, more than any other name. It was on the southwestern slopes of the city of Jerusalem. And in the Old Testament, here's what went on in that valley. Uh, they worshiped the god of fire named Molech. And Molech required your firstborn. So they would offer their children into the fire. So prophets came along in the years to come, condemned that whole practice, but that valley, which is now beautiful, that valley remained anathema. It, it, remained, off, uh, it remained a garbage dump, a refuse. And they would put even um, convicted killers' bodies after they were executed they would be in there, and household trash would be in there, and it was a smoldering garbage dump. And Jesus says, that's where a wasted life goes. And he says, listen, I'm just going to tell you. He calls it eternal punishment, Matthew 25. He says, when he comes back, he's going to judge people, put them on this right and left. And he says, the right go into heaven, and the left will go into eternal punishment. These are Christ's words. Why would you want to dilute or, or say something different, as horrible as it is, than what Jesus is plainly saying? He's saying it's eternal. There's fire there. He calls it Gehenna. Anyone whose name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, he says that's the second death, and that's where they go, to this place. It's a literal, real place. One guy said... Martin Luther, the reformer, why we're not Catholics today. This is what he says. What hell is exactly, we do not know. Only this we know from Jesus' words, that there is such a sure and certain place. G.K. Chesterton said this about hell. Hell is the greatest compliment God has ever paid to the dignity of human freedom. He says, you've got a choice. There's a funny story told uh, back in the day, Calvin Coolidge was vice president and he was presiding over the Senate and two senators were arguing and one got really angry and told the other one, you can go straight to hell. And so the other one who was offended looked up at Calvin Coolidge and said, who was flipping through some book there, which turned out he was actually reading the Bible. <laughs> and he said, hey, Calvin, uh, he just told me to go to hell. I, I'm really offended. And Calvin looked up from the book and he said, well, according to the rule book, you don't have to go. <laughs> you know what? Listen, he lays a choice before the human soul. And that's what ushered me into the kingdom. Maybe you came because you were so blessed and your eyes just popped open me. I had to have my tail feathers singed by the reality of a place called hell. I had a vision. I was 19. I had heard the gospel from my Jewish converted father. I had heard the gospel from street preachers, and that's it. Never been to church a day in my life, never opened the Bible. The only Christian I knew was the street preachers and my father. And I'm in a disco, June 3rd, 1979. The room goes blurred. I get nauseous. You've heard the story. And I hear in my head over and over again, like a broken record, why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Over and over again, so much so that I stood there kind of in a stupor and I started repeating the words. And so my brother came over and I'm like this, standing there. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? My brother's slapping me around. I don't remember this part. 
I hadn't been drinking yet. <laughs> I hadn't started. <clears throat> I went outside with my brother. And you know the story? I said to him, heaven, hell, Jesus is talking to me. Don't go there. Don't go there. He's telling me not to go to hell. I wanted Darian to say so badly, Oh, man, come on in. I'll buy you a beer. It'll be all right. We can continue with our immoral lifestyle. Come on, let's go in there. And instead, he says, oh, Jesus is talking to me, too. <laughs> and I'll tell you what, my eyes open. My eyes open. I looked up in the sky, and I said, God, you're right. I'm wrong. And I'll tell you what else happened. We took a prayer walk. We don't even know what that means. Well, we took a walk like, now what? <laughs> right? And uh, I remember leaning against a telephone pole, looking at my apartment door. And before I went in, I felt like I was going into a new life. And I said out loud to God, never again. I will never live that kind of life again. Because God opened my eyes. And I came out of that. And, and I'll tell you what, here's, here's the deal. Just like Jesus said, there was nothing near and dear to my heart as much as a 19-year-old would love everything that he can possibly sin with. It was no longer worth it to go to a place like that. And so I <laughs> thought, I have no answer to Jesus. Why will you go to hell when you don't have to? I'm like, well, I won't then. <laughs> And that's how I became a Christian. I was this person driving home to see my father. I was this person, not the person who died in the disco. And so he's saying, listen, is it your eye? Is it what you're looking at? Your vision for your life? Is it what you're doing? Is it where you're going? Jesus says, and people misunderstand this part too. He says, uh, what will it profit you if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul in a place like that? Where the worm never dies, their worm, commentators say, is the gnawing, relentless a conscience that can never get over the guilt and can't reverse the rejection of the grace that was offered them. And so there's nothing you can do except replay over and over every single time you had an opportunity with the change of heart. That's all it took, a bat of an eyelash to say, okay, you're right, I'm wrong. Done. And then never again. He says, trust me, being in heaven Missing that thing. And here's the family secret. Here's the family secret. You turn around after you, and you make room for the salvation. You turn around and look at that thing that was so near and dear and kept you from eternal life as the garbage it really was. It didn't enhance your life. It actually diminished the quality of your life. And so what Jesus is telling you to get rid of that is prized by you in unbelief is loathed by you in faith and in reconciliation to God the Father. I think you're getting the point. <laughs> I think you're getting the point. I know I am. A woman came up to me after last service, and she said, I've been coming here for two years on and off when I visit my children. And I've been wrestling Today, I raised my hand and I gave my heart to Christ. You know what? And yeah, we can all applaud. Go ahead. That's what it takes sometimes. That's why Jesus says, hey, look, I have to be honest with you. Now, I want to talk about one last thing. Let's look at the picture here. I just want to tell you who that is. Uh, just not a man. That is the one who spoke in Genesis 1 and created the earth and the heavens and the stars. That's him. That is the one 
who ruled the world and holds the world together by his power, the fullness of God, Colossians 2.9, in a body. That is eternal love, eternal goodness, the eternal God, the second person of the Godhead. God in a body is hanging on a piece of wood that he created. Willingly, he said, oh, no, no, nobody takes my life. He almost laughed at them when they came in the garden with clubs. He says, oh, you, you, you're coming out with clubs and chains? This is my plan. You're not taking my life. Who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. He says, I am using God's word. That's God's name. I am. He says, I am. And they fall on their faces. He's like, let me help you up. Because you've got a job to do because it's my plan. They're culpable for their wickedness. But I want to end on this. He's saying, if you find yourself perished, it had nothing to do with me because I let them strip me for you. I let them pluck my beard out. I let them curse me. I let them execute me. They took off my clothes. It says that. They stripped him so that they wouldn't strip you. This is the kind of thing that people, listen, when people say, I just can't understand how a God of love, finish the sentence, can do this for people who would nail him to the cross. This is how I judge God, not by my ability to understand how could he even let the risk happen for that. That's not my department. My department is to accept what he says as terrorizing as it is, and let that motivate me to be part of the answer in somebody's life, not to mitigate that and help others think more casually of something Jesus says, chop your arm off. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus screaming, chop your arm off. And other Christians are out there going, well, the narrative. It's just a narrative. If that's a narrative for something else, tell me what the something else is. Cheer me up with the something else that that has eternal fire that never is quenched and a worm that never dies. If that's just symbol, tell me what the, the real thing is then. Oh, I'm so relieved. Love, who's saying, why would you go to hell when you don't have to? Come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, <laughs> we're just, our souls are stirred, Lord, by the reality of what you reveal. <laughs> you tear back the curtain, the spiritual curtain, and we get to see what you're saying. And Lord, we believe you. We accept what you're saying. And we fall before you in thanksgiving to say thank you for changing the course of our destinies by putting yourself in between us and that terrible place because our sins are paid for. Thank you. We love you. We ask that these truths just do their work in our hearts and lives. In Christ's name. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 6.30 and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.